From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Welcome to a new edition of Market Signals. And we are recording this on Tuesday, September 27th. Uh, your host here, Jeffrey Roach, Chief Economist for LPL, and joined by Mark Zabicki, Director of Research and also the Chief Investment Officer. Mark, how are you? Doing well, Jeffrey. Good to be with you. We uh, we do often see each other in person in the office, but uh, Market Signals here recorded uh, virtually. So uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we have to switch back and forth, home office to uh, real office. But either way, here we are, Market Signals, important disclosures. Remember, we uh, are careful about how we talk. We're not talking about guaranteeing and uh, certainly not uh, wanting to uh, assume we know the future. So um, some of these uh, comments will be forward looking in nature, but um, you know the limitations of us here. So there we go. Hot topics. Uh, we'll we'll talk about the pound, talk about a uh, little bit of oversold conditions. Uh, we'll talk about the aggressive nature of uh, recent Fed activity. And then hot off the press this morning, as we're recording Tuesday here, we were heard uh, heard from the conference board that uh, consumer confidence improved. We'll talk a little bit about that, what that might mean. And so there you have it, our roadmap for today. And uh, as always, your research team is uh, available to help you, assist you in any way, and uh, glad to glad to be available. Reach out, uh, as always, with questions. So pound sterling, right off the bat, um, we do have a uh, colleague going over to the UK uh, in a little bit. I actually came uh, and did my visit a little bit too early, Mark. Apparently, if I waited a little bit, I was over there with the family in June. And uh, if I waited a little bit, uh, things would have been cheaper, would you say? Could have saved some money there. Um, every every economist is interested in saving a little money, right? Exactly. So uh, you can't time it uh, perfectly. But, uh, you know, hey, at least uh, at least we didn't, uh, you know, go over there, you know, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, but, you know, pound sterling hitting all time lows, uh, a lot of new people in office uh, over in London, uh, particularly that's uh, adding some volatility. Uh, we are, you know, are seeing kind of this new budget. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Mark, in our strategic asset allocation committee meeting. As uh, as advisors know, we we meet regularly as a committee to hash through uh, events of the week of the day and uh, what that might mean for portfolio allocations. Uh, but uh, what what uh, any any thoughts uh, as we dive into some highlights here with with what's going on in the currency markets and, and fixed income markets, Mark? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I think the Federal Reserve has got us, uh, our eyes trained on on the on the dollar and the dollar strengths. And, the, you know, the dollar's been um, across, you know, most currencies out there. The dollar is, is, uh, is really strong. And based on, the you know, the, the actions of the Federal Reserve, I mean, you could probably take a look at the dollar right now and raise a little bit of an eyebrow and, and ask, the question of of how parabolic or how straight up effectively that 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 the dollar could go, thinking that at some point 
we, you know, we may in fact, you know, uh, show show some weakness in the dollar in, in the weeks or months ahead, meaning that it, it can't continue to go up in a, in a straight line, and especially if we get some inflation readings um, that are a little bit more palatable. And if we get some concept that maybe the Federal Reserve um, will have to, you know, you know, go or do less work in terms of policy. Um, maybe a little bit of a breather for the causes a little bit of a breather for the dollar and and um, uh, and and probably a little bit of breather for risky assets, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So you know, this graph for those of you that uh, may be uh, listening while you're exercising, uh, showing a graph here on uh, the relationship with the dollar pound uh, uh, exchange rate as well as the uh, 10 year gilts for the UK. And so what's happening, you know, across the pond here is, uh, you know, and I can appreciate a lot what's what's happening over there. I have a very soft spot uh, for supply side economics uh, in my heart and uh, it enjoyed reading and thinking about Art Laffer being in uh, graduate school at Clemson University. And so as a supply sider, when I'm reading about uh, tax cuts and uh, trying to make the environment a little bit better for both consumers and businesses alike over in the UK, I think, okay, well, that's great. That's that's healthy stimulus. But at the same time, if we're seeing, all right, there's there's a there's an aspect of stimulus that will be inflationary. And so, you know, I think markets are are very nervous about inflation getting even worse than it currently is in the UK and clearly putting downside weakness in the pound. And uh, you can see this graph. I actually put this graph together before yesterday's trading activity where you know the pound even weakened even more but the point is that that it's in relationship as mark as you just said a lot of it not only is just the supply side uh, conversations that's happening in the new government in london but also the fact that the u.s central bank has been very aggressive in raising rates and in many ways ceteris paribus uh, has upside pressure on our own domestic currency but uh, clearly something to watch out for adding to the overall global volatility in the markets right now i think that's the point that we wanted to highlight in this podcast as you talk to clients and uh, you talk to folks about markets what's adding to some of this market volatility is some of the other very aggressive central bank activity um, mentioning here, uh, as well as Bank of Japan. We'll just put that in passing. So next next uh, hot topic, moving on to uh, sentiment. Uh, Mark, uh, you can add some comments here, but wanted to put it uh, over to you. Uh, we in the top of the podcast, just highlighting some of our hot topics for this edition. Uh, the second hot topic here is is some of the uh, the sentiment numbers. Um, well, this is uh, the first of two graphs, uh, but in terms of uh, equities and uh, volatility, Mark, what do you what do you think, and how should advisors think through uh, what's happening right now? Sure. Um, I mean, there, there's uh, we we call this tool for the toolbox number one. And there's there are plenty of sentiment tools uh, out there. This is just one uh, that that I kind of uh, historically have, have looked at for kind of a long time, just almost as a as a common sense check in on on how how markets are reacting relative to volatility. So what this is is basically. 
as the, as the nameplate indicates, the S&P 500 trailing one-year return to volatility ratio on a weekly basis. So what this means is, um, so we're, when returns are high um, and volatility is low, uh, you have, you have uh, this ratio appearing on the upside of this graph. When S&P 500 returns are low and volatility is high, the ratio will appear on the lower um, end of this graph. So it's it's basically a measure of extremes. Um, so we sometime in, in 2021, as this chart shows, reached an extreme in optimism. Um, you know, clearly overbought conditions, as this chart would point out. And now we've kind of conversely reached an extreme in pessimism, oversold conditions that, you know, if we, this chart goes back, you know, to, you know, call it, you know, 10 years, 11 years um, is the time frame that we're looking at. Um, there is no lower point over the, the last, you know, 10, 11 years than, than that point that we see today. So um, almost an extreme low um in in sentiment you know based on what we are seeing in this chart which common sense kind of tells you that when you see these types of extremes on the high and the low that the market is almost in a coil spring kind of mode um and if we get any kind of good news and this is your arena uh dr roach is you know maybe we get some good news on inflation maybe we get um some good news um, from the Federal Reserve relative to inflation. Um, and, you know, in a, in a coiled spring effect, we get a bounce back in risky assets. So from a contrarian perspective, although sentiment's decidedly weak, the market's been down notably over the last several weeks. Um, some, some good things perhaps to look forward to uh, if we do get that bout of good news. Yeah, that's right. And so it's a, a great segue for, you know, where we'll go in, in the next slide, thinking about these extremes and, and what could be the impetus to kind of move us back from one extreme to another extreme, you use that, that coil uh, component here. So you think about where we are uh, from an investment sentiment standpoint, you know, bullish, bearish. And uh, so toolbox number two here showing on the screen, I think it's a great natural next step. Uh, to add to what your your earlier comments are, Mark. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a tool for the toolbox number two. Again, there are multiple different tools in the toolbox: sentiment, fundamental, technical, and otherwise. But um, I mean, we we're looking back twelve years in this chart here. Um, the American Association of Individual Investors surveys those that responded in a, in a bearish fashion. Um, are are sixty five percent in the last weekly reading, last weekly reading, which is a historic high over the last you know, twelve years. So again, a contrarian would tell you that you know you 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 may want to bet the other way in terms of of what this chart shows you. Um, extremes and pessimism. Um, you know, generally, typically uh, lead to reversals um, in in the in the in the level of sentiment out in the marketplace. So again, if we're looking at the tool for the toolbox number one and the number two, we can perhaps deduce that um, uh, the the market may be in a position for that coiled spring rebound. Should we get that piece of good news? 
um, on the inflation, maybe the PCE number this week, uh, Dr. Roach can can get us there. But but who knows? I mean, I, I, I do think from a, a market strategy and an asset allocation perspective, uh, we are indeed in in pretty um, definitive oversold territory here. So um, and in the retest of the lows in June, we saw yesterday we are we are today getting that bounce, which is which is good news and probably not much of a surprise um, as we bounce off those June lows because um, the obviously an important level of support here. Yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, the the natural follow up to that then is to say, OK, we're at this extreme level of bearishness. Why? You know, the so what or how did this happen? And I think that that kind of flows real nicely into this this next chart where we're saying, OK, I think part of the reason why we're seeing such negativism is in response to an aggressive Fed that's never been this aggressive historically. And so in this graph, we're just saying, okay, given all of the various tightening cycles from the last several decades, let's look at how the Fed has hiked and how they've tightened over time and at what speed. And so this dark black line is the current tightening cycle. And you can see that by far and away, this is a tightening cycle that's happened much faster in in magnitude than any other tightening cycle. And I think that's kind of that natural uh, iteration of this conversation with folks saying, okay, why are people bearish? Why is the market nervous? Okay, we talked about the unusual nature with you know the UK and how currency markets are trading. Let's add to the storyline a an aggressive Fed that is high, tight, tightening faster than they've ever done before, and I think in some ways that kind of makes sense. Where you see, all right, the Fed's typically in the last several decades, you can kind of see this fact that the Fed never really tightens above the previous peak in rates. You kind of, you know, you see high rates and then they start easing because of economic weakness. They start tightening again. They never quite reach the previous cycle's peak. Not so this time around, right? It's a whole new era in the sense that the Fed said, all right, given the fact that we have such unusual characteristics in the stickiness of inflation, uh, we're going to hike. We're going to be aggressive. We actually heard this again yesterday, which was Monday. The Cleveland Federal Reserve president uh, was talking about the fact that uh, rates need to be higher for much longer. Uh, I think that's really uh, changing market expectations, uh, even in the last you know 48 hours, about uh, what rates might look like going into 2024 now. So I think that's that's part of the challenge: uh, markets responding to a very aggressive Fed tightening much faster than they normally fight. So hey, go yeah, ahead, Mark. I just you want to yeah. follow up on this. Just to actually add a, add, a, add a curiosity here, just from your perspective, I, um, you know, how how much of, of what the Fed is saying, which, you know, I, I think we're taking the Fed at its word, it's going to continue to raise rates um, somewhat aggressively 
um, maybe not quite at, on a 75 basis points level of aggression, but you know, how, how much of, of what you're hearing from the Federal Reserve would you categorize as, as jawboning? Well, I think they're, they're what we call jawboning is what they call forward guidance. And so, you know, in previous um, FOMC kind of cultures, particularly with Bernanke back in the day, you know, one of the tools that the Fed actually had was not just, you know, a, adjusting short-term rates and money supply and interest paid on excess reserves and all these other things that they do. You know, forward guidance is a real tool. And forward guidance just means in, in everyday English, it just means that the market needs to hear what the Fed's planning on doing. So the forward guidance means Fed saying, hey, we need to see rates here or we won't change our policy until we see inflation moving in this direction. You know, and all of that kind of conversation is important. And I think part of part of the way that the markets respond and financial conditions tighten is by the four guidance, just the talking. So the, the fact that they give speeches saying we're serious about uh, you know inflation fighting, we're also uh, mindful that we're talking about a, a long run average 2% rate. So I think in many ways, when the Fed can be convinced that inflation is easing, and you know it's unequivocal inflation easing going in the right direction i think in some ways that is that is just as good as you know that forward guidance saying all right we're moving toward this 2% target um and it'll take it take a little bit of time but moving to you know a a plus 8% on the cpi to to 7 that's a move in the right direction um if we're looking at the deflator moving from you know a, a, an upper sixes to a six percent year-on-year rate which we'll most likely see at the end of this week i think that's actually going to be fairly positive for the markets and investors knowing that inflation is moving in the right direction so uh, forward guidance is uh, a legitimate uh part of what the committee members do in yeah. going around giving talks and and that's some of the base case in terms of our work as a as a strategic and tactical asset allocation committee at LPO Research with some of the work clearly that you're providing, Jeffrey, in terms of um, inflation outlooks. We we do think inflation is going to ebb here. Um, the, you know, the question is degree um, and how fast we get back to you know some more palatable uh, inflation numbers, and and that's. And that's why we're a little bit cautiously optimistic here from as we get this, you know, bout of extreme pessimism. If if we do get some inflation numbers that are within expectations or better than expectations and show that continued trend of deceleration inflation, then I think the market likes that a little better, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's funny too, just to bring up something I had a conversation with some friends and they were saying, well, Okay, what's what's the deal with you economists and market you know participants talking about core inflation? Isn't it true that food and energy are very important for the average 
American household? The answer is yes. And the reason really for the, the focus on core is its statistical properties. It's easier to forecast and model out when you take out some of the highly volatile components. But the bottom line is headline numbers are important. And the Fed actually has stated that the headline numbers are important. And that's why on Friday, I think it's very important for all of us to focus on the fact that given the decline in energy and gas prices and some components of imported food prices, services, we're starting to see that headline number uh, ease a little bit. And I think, you know, before we, you know, end the podcast, it is fair to say, well, let you know, is there anything positive to talk about? You know, we talked about some of the, un, un, uh, you know, historic just moves, particularly in pound sterling, I, I'm thinking, but, you know, the moves in, in uh, Fed policy, et cetera. What's, what's good? Is there anything positive? And I think we can actually give some good news and end on a positive note because this morning, Tuesday, we had a rebound in consumer confidence. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we often look at is, you know, those leading indicators that suggest when in, when a recession hits. Uh, we're going to actually talk about later this week and some other um, deliverables that we do here out of LPL Research talk about the fact that a, a spike in unemployment, as the Fed has warned, it is really consistent with a recession. So we're talking about increasing the uh, the call and the risks of recession next year. But if you think about where we are this year, particularly in the third quarter, you know, you think about the fact that you know July, August has been pretty uh, a little bit better, pretty pretty uh, you know calming from a, a consumer standpoint and from some of the pricing standpoint. Now, granted. Uh, you know, July and August was short-lived in terms of how equity markets were moving. September has been a whole nother story. But uh, this is uh, this latest uptick here in this graph, just showing uh, consumer confidence overlaid with the column, the gray column there, showing uh, the official recession as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And uh, you saw, you see this uptick. That's for September. September moved back up to uh, triple digits. Uh, 108 uh, is the latest measure for consumer confidence. And the reason why I think it's important is uh, something that you can take away, I think, as advisors, you talk to your clients and, and thoughtful about uh, how various age cohorts, income cohorts are experiencing the current economic environment a, a lot different than any other cohort. So, you know, the Consumer Confidence Board uh, conference board gives us the numbers broken out by age. And I thought it was worth highlighting on the podcast just because people don't often talk about this, but again, it kind of gives you an edge uh, as you access LPO research. What, what do we give you that that's uh, non-consensus or, you know, not necessarily hitting mainstream media. And uh, one of the things I thought was worth highlighting is that when you break out consumer confidence by age, there's a very different experience for those under 35 versus those over 55. So kind of looking at, 
you know, the barbells of the uh, labor force, if you will. And uh, that dark blue line there, the under 35s, you know, everybody took a hit during the pandemic and uh, had a little bit of uh, a head fake, you know, coming into 2021. And then we realized the the uh, the nagging influences of inflation and, and then eventually, a, you know, a war from Russia has uh, depressed confidence. But if you kind of just look at that, you know, eyeball it, you know, from 2019 to where we are currently, the under 35s are pretty close to pre-pandemic levels. And it's a lot different experience than the over 55s. And the reason I think the kind of connecting the dots here between confidence and what we're seeing in the labor market and why the labor market's so tight, you have all these openings, you don't have enough unemployed people, people looking for work. It seems to be this, you know, this this frustration with the over 55s. Uh, and I don't know if it's perhaps maybe, uh, you know, a frustration with what the hybrid work environment might look like. Maybe on the positive end, it's the, you know, wealth effect, the fact that, uh, you know, the over 55s have a much larger uh, a war chest than the under 35s. And they can weather kind of taking a, a time out, if you will, a gap year or a gap year or two. Uh Thinking of uh, you know those after college, uh, but it's a it's a lot different. I don't know, Mark, if you want to comment on this, it's interesting thinking about uh, just the different experiences based on where you are in demographics. Yeah, um, probably hard to hard to pinpoint, Jeff. I mean, uh, just in terms of the over fifty five folks, is 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 maybe we've got a situation where um, they're over fifty five, perhaps more on a on a fixed income. And then the gas prices was really the gas prices were really eating heavily into that inflation, eating more heavily into that perhaps than than the uh, the under thirty fives really be really digest. And then you know maybe some of the lifts that we've seen in today's numbers related to to honestly you know oil prices, gas prices, which have in fact come down. I mean we were we were we're, we're at like seventy seven dollar ish WT, uh, WTI this morning, so there's probably some semblance of a direct correlation with um, uh, oil prices and consumer confidence. And as we know, oil prices affect you know you know nearly four corners of the economic system and when it comes to inflation. And so having oil prices kind of ebb here, which is an ex expectation of us or of, of ours, um, uh, by the way, um, certainly is is helpful to all three of these lines, probably. Yeah, that's right. And so if you if you take that narrative that the over 55s are taking the gap year or two, uh, that by definition means they're going to be on a, a, a fixed income, <laughs> you know, whatever they're drawing from retirement, right? They don't have you know, uh, a paycheck to uh, to play off of. And so that clearly kind of adds to that storyline. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the one of the things that we need to see in order to provide real salve for the markets is this uh, kind of this recovery from these five million folks that are on the sidelines that were in the workforce pre-pandemic, they're still on the sidelines for whatever reason. We really need to see a greater labor force participation rate in our economy, and particularly those that uh, you know that are that are the over fifty-five. And here's here's the the really good news. I think this is where we can wrap it up, um, talking about um, you know the next uh, uh, you know. It, day and and uh, the remaining days of this trading week, and that is, 
you know, out of Tuesday morning's consumer confidence report, we saw that inflation expectations for the average consumer is well anchored. Uh, that's one of the things that you'll hear out of policymakers when they talk about forward guidance and talk about plans and talk about, you know, how tight will they be and for how long will they continue this aggressive rate hike. A lot of this hinges on inflation expectations. And sometimes it's it's a little confusing. I, th I think when I talk to end clients, they say, okay, it really is important because it affects consumer behavior today. Today's behavior is based on tomorrow's expectations. And so we don't want uh, a, a runaway inflation expectation and people you know, clamoring to get things now, stock up on things now because they're nervous about future prices. And in the details of this consumer conference report for September, we saw an even better improvement that inflation is expected to come down. Consumers are, are reporting that and they're acting upon that. And that clearly does add uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess, salve thinking about how aggressive will the Fed have to be. Uh, but inflation expectations are well anchored. But here we are. It is a busy week this week. We feel like we say that every week. Um, so Tuesday, as you can see, I highlighted consumer confidence. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I would say the biggest one is probably the Friday number mark, as you've already highlighted a few times throughout our remarks on this podcast. But the preferred metric of inflation, the uh, PCE deflator, it's based on the personal consumption expenditures of, uh, of the consumer here in the U.S., what they're actually selling, what they're actually buying, uh, and in what proportions, I think gives us uh, and central bankers the best read on how inflation is impacting consumers. We'll get that uh, 8.30 Eastern on Friday morning. And um, we are expecting the headline number to march on down to 6% year on year. And uh, we we expect uh, in the coming months to finally uh, break below 6%. And uh, that will clearly add uh, confirmation in our view that uh, inflation has uh, decelerated, has peaked and decelerated. So Mark, what do you, what do you think? Anything you want to add? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I think the timing is interesting. Just that we, we took a look at two indicators from a sentiment perspective and they're both at, you know, pessimism peaks over the last 10 or 12 years. And then we're talking about Friday, perhaps getting um, a, a, a nice look at an inflation number that may in fact be continuing to trend lower. So we, we combine the two good news on inflation, perhaps on Friday, peak pessimism, current state of the union today, that makes for that perhaps that coiled spring type of a reaction we may get from from risky assets. So so something to, to kind of uh, digest here in terms of the way to think about you know market positioning. And I know over the last couple of weeks, um, watching the market go down on a, a material way is not easy to digest from a behavioral perspective. Um, but, but right now, we're, we may be on the cusp of getting some better news from an inflation perspective. Um, we're certainly uh, in the throes of that, that deep pessimism. Um, and, and that maybe provides a, a level of opportunity for 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 investors and, 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 and uh, some respite for those investors who have been um, allocated to equities and other risky assets over the next couple, you know, couple of weeks. So we could see 
um, a little bit of a tradable bottom here. Um, should we get a PCE number that actually is more palatable? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well said. And uh, as always, we're thankful for your business. Thank you for listening. And until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to us for any questions and support. Take care. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.